if we if you can just take those small things for each one of your programs or look at something in your program and be like can we improve this and if you actually look at the money metrics of it come up with an outline and approach the correct people the worst thing that can say is no right and so try it see what happens and share it or share that with somebody or share that with other programs like share like we all have friends in different specialties and similar specialties in, in different locations and ask them talk Welcome to the Solving Resident Burnout podcast, created by resident Dr. Daniel Orlovich for interns, residents, fellows, and yes, programs too. Designed to discuss real barriers from the front line and offer practical solutions. No stuffiness, no whining, no mandatory lectures, no glazing over the real issues, no wellness guru talk, just a casual conversation about real issues affecting residents and practical solutions. On this episode, I think the listeners out there will enjoy it a lot for multiple reasons. One, this person who shall remain anonymous because he requested is a normal resident. And why is that important? Too often wellness is pitched as something that if you don't get a certificate about wellness, if you don't drink three cal smoothies a day or meditate for 15 hours a day, you just quote, don't get it. But I'd say that any resident out there should get this and can get this. Two, the guest and I talk about ways that Residents can connect on social media and online. It's a way that we can increase transparency. Actually, this is how we interacted and met the first time. And finally, we talk about practical ways to get involved on a local as well as national level. I think this is important because a lot of times we like to think about these big sweeping changes, but there's something very meaningful. And you'll hear about one particular example where if we start locally, some interesting things might happen. Nice, man. So in terms of the wellness stuff, obviously, um, you are not going into academia. You're doing private practice. You're yes. in a very lucrative, well-compensated you know, field of medicine. So why does someone like you care about burnout, care about wellness? So going through the whole process of orthopedics from beginning to end, I think everybody always knows it's, hey, the end game of this is going to be, you know, you're going to be compensated well. Things are going to be really well for you, at least in the current climate and environment. But Going through the process of actually getting there is completely, for the large part, I realized an unnecessary burden in a lot of senses. I think that anybody who starts an orthopedic surgery residency and away rotated kind of knows the hours and you know what you're getting into. But mm-hmm. I, on the back end of it, as you became a fourth year, fifth year, and your life got easier, you looked back at the first year, second years, even the third years, who were still just getting destroyed consistently in the hospital by themselves overnight. Mm-hmm. And, taking yeah. all this call and seeing this mental toll that it was taking on them. Um, my, I was very fortunate to be in a place where my program director was very, very supportive and he was very family oriented. And when you're interns and even second year, third year, again, he tells you, you know, if you're having troubles at home or you're, you know, you may be going through a divorce or something like that, please come and tell me and I will come get the pager for you because that's not worth your, your home life. And so that, that I can still hear his voice ringing in my ears to this day. And, as I exited and I've gotten into the fellowship and here towards the end, I've realized that I can make a difference now is 
now that I'm in a position where I'm not in a residency structure and soon to be not in a training structure and fellowship, I'm in a position where I can potentially go to a state legislator. I can potentially do different things with absolutely no blowback on me. By being in by being in private practice, I'm somewhat insulated from the the ladder that has become academia, where if you step off that ladder or if you go off onto your trailblazing ways, you're not going to move up in the academic world because you more or less might be blackballed. Yep. Because people always think like, oh, in order for me, and this is one, you know, I, I get it. One way to change it would be from within the system. And like you're saying, you know, going up that ladder and publishing more and, and speaking at conferences and that's fine. But I think it's really unique kind of like you're saying, I'm in private practice now. I'm beholden to nobody and except my patients, right? And like, I can still affect something that is affecting residents in the medical system because you've, you know, felt it in orthopedics. I felt it in anesthesia as well. And I'm sure like many other residents are observing what you've observed. Right. And I think what's going to be difficult for me, and I, I hope I'm not having hubris when I'm thinking about this, is that, you know, I've seen a lot of guys in prior practice. It is a, it, it's a full-time it's a small business owner, you know, you like, it's, it's your baby. And like, you're constantly thinking about all these people. It's like a small business in the worst way and that you're taking care of people and you always need to be available. So there's, there's private practice guys now who the majority of ortho private practice guys I know give their personal cell phone number to all of their patients. And so they're getting texted and called in the evenings almost every single day. And so in that, I'm going to have to find, especially with my wife being in medicine too, some sort of middle ground where I can where I can dedicate some time to this. And I, outside of my own practice and outside of my own patients, I'm I think I'm fortunate in that this is actually what I found that I want to leave a mark in medicine in. Yeah, and how do you kind of? you know, predicting the future, is it like you said, the legislative route? Is it more like when you are working with a guy today, do you take a fellow or a resident and like sit down and then like really show them the technique, you know, like more of a personal kind of touch with just one or two people? How do you kind of envision that? I think from a larger standpoint, I would love to be involved in the Texas legislature through either the Texas Medical Association. And though many physicians don't like it, the American Medical Association is our biggest arm in the legislature. But yeah. from the town, from the town that I'm in, I'm I would I would love to have residents come with me, and I'd love to show them, hey, this is what private practice entails. And you get so you get so tunnel vision sometimes in academic centers that you don't even know what potentially you may be getting into once you leave that place. And so I would love to I'm I'd love to teach. I just don't want to teach in an academic center, and I think that's okay. And for a lot of people, I think that there's some sort of um, scarlet letter to say I don't want to be in a teaching role. Like it's almost like you're abandoning this. Mm-hmm. Um, Osler type, you know, yep. continuation of medicine. But I do want to do that, but I just don't want to do it in the current structure that exists. And I think I can help from outside in. And I, like I said, I don't know if I can, but that's definitely what I want to do. Yeah. And, and I like it too, because you're saying it's a, it's another way to reach the residents as well. Did you know kind of like at what point of the training where you're like, Hey, academia is just not for me and I'm okay with that. Uh, maybe private practice is a good, better fit. I think early on, had you asked me in my beginning days of residency, I would have said I would love to be a program director. That would have been my highest arching, like that is what I want to do. And for some reason, and I think a lot of people could probably feel this, is that I became disillusioned with the entire system. And if you go back to the old, what's the book? Uh, the Gomers hurt us, we hurt the Gomers. Uh, uh, how's that God? 
the house of God, you know, like yeah. you can you kind of see like the, the system of slurpers that it needs to get to that type of position. And I'm just realized it's not me. It's not, I'm, I'm very, I'm very hardheaded and you, you kind of have to be step, you have to step in line with academia to get to that place. And I was like, you, you know, I, I enjoy my patient care too much to want to be on that side of it. And so I figured that the best way I can do it is step into private practice, enjoy all the parts of why I wanted yeah. to be a doctor from like, if I look back at my high school thoughts of, Hey, this is what I think of. I want to be in a, in a doctor. It's taking care of patients, right? Like that's why we, yeah, we got into totally. this. So that's, that's what brought me to over the private practice world. Yeah. And I, I like that too. Cause when people hear that I'm interested in wellness work, they say, Oh, you know, keep publishing. You'll have less time with patients. You'll get more administrative time. And I'm like, no, I, you know, like you said, like I want to be with patients. I get a lot of meaning and joy out of that. And that's why I wanted to speak with you and let people hear your voice as well. It's like, you can still impact resident education and their trajectory and their journey and not be like the wellness chair or a program director, right? And I think it's reimagining the roles and the support that's really like inspiring. I think that what I want to do may be what like the model was in the in the 50s and 60s. You know, there are so many different academic places now in big cities. But if you look back mm -hmm. at, you know, I'm from Texas. If you look back at Dallas, there was... UT South or uh, UT Southwestern Parkland there. And it was originally just Parkland and everybody else was out in private practice. And mm. they, they took care of like new medicine from the outside in. And then at some point, these places became these behemoths of just yeah. churn, churning money. And it became, it, some, it became something else. And I think that going back to more outside people caring about academia is possible. And I, I just hope our generation is the one that kind of takes it and takes it for what it can be. I, I really think that there's a lot of upswell to want to change the residency yeah. academic structure. I think, And I, I mentioned it on Reddit that yeah. I, I hope that this is what I'm feeling is not just a four to five year thing that everybody in their generation felt when they were going through it. Mm -hmm. And then it just faded. And yeah. how do you not let it fade? I don't know that answer. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I would imagine you've talked to people, I've talked to people. And like you said, you know, once you get out, everyone says it's going to get better, but then you got kids, you got, you know, the business to run, you got mortgages to pay. And it sounds like these are first world problems. And point being like, we're all grateful but it's still, it takes time. It takes mental energy. It takes bandwidth. And it takes a lot of time just to be a good physician who just finished fellowship as well. Do you have any kind of approaches, things you're, you're saying, kind of the AMA, kind of the Texas legislative as well? Like, how do you see your role in that? I think we mentioned briefly in our conversation, I think a lot of residents and a lot of trainees get kind of caught up in overarching changes, like big mm -hmm. national yeah. changes. Like, I want my, I think all residents should be paid this amount. And while we all know that we're grossly underpaid, I think it's really hard to translate those large ideals into yeah. big sweeping changes across the United States. So I think yeah. the best advice I could give to residents or fellows or early people that have just graduated is to just get potentially involved in your local medical societies and just start yeah. there. There's a huge swath of people locally in your area that go to those meetings that have the mm -hmm. same thoughts that you do. Like they, they're going, they're going on evenings that they're off because they want, they see something that they can improve within their own little community. So if you start small, you can start there and make your way to something bigger. And that's where 
the whole positions for delegates and all that comes up. And again, you get you get caught in this structure, which you may not want to be in because you feel like, okay, this is now I'm a AMA delegate and I'm doing yeah. this and that and I'm doing all of that. And I don't want to do any of that. I just want to fix the problems. But it I, I don't see another way of of doing it. So I you know, I was thinking after we talked, there's there's a fair amount of changes that have happened in the United States with within our generation. So I'm 33 and I feel like a lot of trainees at the end of their education are between 30 and 35. And I think, and, it, and if you want to talk politics, like from all sides of the spectrum, there was the Tea Party movement, right? Like how did that yeah. start? It was a very totally. small grassroots movement from all over the United States. And it kind of just, it was an upswell. And it, did it die? Yes, but do we still remember it? And did it have a lasting yeah. impact? There's still there's still Congress members that were former Tea Party people. There's the far left left side. There's the whole Bernie supporter group that didn't yeah. come from a national presence. It was like this yeah. up. It was this upswell that started. And I, I really hope what we're seeing online now is that we all start to connect. Is that there seems to be an upswell. And we're starting to have the similar ideals from West Coast to East Coast to the South yeah. that all these residents are talking and they're going, wait a minute, like we have the same problems at my hospital or we have the same problems in my residency. And so are we starting something like that? And that's I, I would hope that we we're starting to see the beginnings of that with even outside the AMA, different advocacy associations like putting patients first and all those different ones that are out there. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. My concern is people get attached to like the name you know, the AMA or the, what is it, the PPP or whatever. I think that's right. the name of the other one. Hearing you say it, it's like, it's what's the kind of the, the fundamental essence of that movement? Instead of like picking the right team, it's like, what do they stand for? What kind of actions? Fundamentally, who's that small group that gets together and makes changes? And I think you're exactly right. But for some reason, I don't know why, like, I feel like everyone wants to go to the national organizations and pass a bill. And that's very alluring. But like you said, you know, your program director said like, hey, Give me your pager if you have problems at home. Like that's no bill, that's no legislation. And I get that like that's a minor act and and you know, for bigger things like work hour restrictions and and you know, all that stuff, like you need some some uh, things in place that are more concrete. But I think that what I really like to hear, it's like those things, yes, people need to take care of them. But there's also, like you're saying, this opportunity to meet people, have this swell form locally. And that might lead to something much bigger than anyone would have expected. Yeah, I feel like people get tend to get turned off to when they when they voice their complaints and they're just told, well, you know, the only way to fix this is legislation. You got to go through these avenues. And they're like, well, I don't like I don't know what those avenues are. I don't know who to contact that. No, I don't have the right. I don't have the time or energy to even go. Th like, can we just maybe talk about this and fix it? And then they just get blown off and they're like, no, it's got to be a larger discussion. And you're like, well, so. I, I I think that the smaller movements, if we if we have models places where you convince your hospital to pay you, let's say ten to fifteen percent more because you were able to show them that your productivity has gone up this much in the last ten years, but the pay increases, the pay bumps have not gone up, and you can talk to your executive board at your hospital and they approve it. Those are all models that we can then scale on a national level. Like you can. Mm -hmm we're in a position where we can share that now with each other and be like, Hey, this is what we did at our hospital. This is the outline for what we took. 
why don't you guys like if everybody's pretty much on Epic at these big institutions? So this is oh, how yeah. we were. This is how we were able to look at how many patients we saw in this time frame for these three years versus the previous three years, and it was this much more. We think that we should be paid or compensated this much more. And if you go locally, you could potentially do things like that. Totally. Uh, my story there is there's a program at Stanford where essentially just what you said, you get epic and you say, how can we make something more efficient? And if there's a financial boost from that, if you let somebody know and they like formalize it and you write it out and they vet it, they'll say, okay, so 50% will go to the hospital, the cost savings, and 50% will go to your department. So the incentives are in line. It's not an adversarial relationship. So like when I share that story with people, they're like, oh, that's pretty neat. Right. And then I know we talked about it, but kind of for the listeners, explain what you did as a fellow when they said, like, hey, let's moonlight and here's what you're going to get paid. Because I think that's a great example of like locally taking action. Yeah. So we had moonlighting at our local county jail. There's no shortage of orthopedic patients who come in because they got tackled by the cops and potentially dislocated their shoulder. Right. Yeah, and minding so, their own business. Oh, yeah. They're just minding his own business. <laughs> a couple of, couple of guys rolled up on me. Yeah. Uh, so the so these patients we've been taking care of in the in the in the jail system since about the year 2000, and I looked at the pay structure of what we were being paid per hour, and I actually briefly spoke with a couple of residents from San Diego and a couple of residents from Alabama and all the way to the East Coast, and they had similar programs as this, and they were getting paid substantially more, and I was like, that's interesting. So I went to our GME office and I was like, hey, can I see our contract with Tarrant County Jail for how much we were getting paid? And they're like, what contract? And they were there was no contract or had been lost over the years and no one had ever brought it up. And so I got with my three other co-residents and we essentially drafted a letter that said, hey, this is kind of what market value is going out there inside of the places. And we sent it to our executive office and we got a reply shockingly quickly. And they sat down with us and they agreed to the first number that we told them back. And it was substantially more than we were being paid. And we, we kind of threw that number out there as just kind of, uh, let's start that as our negotiation tactic and work our way down. And they very much were like, no, that, that makes complete sense. We'll pay that. And you're like, wow. Like I, like it, it, all it took was a little bit of, okay, a little bit of research into the fact, and then writing up a letter that was stern, but professional and sent Mm -hmm. to the correct people. And it got done. And that was a huge life changer for all of us. I mean, it was a, a not an insignificant amount of money difference. And if we, if you can just take those small things for each one of your programs or look at something in your program and be like, can we improve this? And if you actually look at the money metrics of it, come up with an outline and approach the correct people, the worst thing that can say is no, right? And so try it, see what happens and share it or share that with somebody or share that with other programs. Like share, like we all have friends in different specialties and similar specialties in in different locations and ask them, talk. We are in a world of infinite communication now. We should all know, we should all know what's going on in each other's programs. Let's be honest. Like we should know what good things are happening and what bad things are happening. I, I think that story is great. And when I told people, they're like, oh, well, why would they pay them more? And I said, okay, look, like, Hypothetically, if we were the program coordinators and directors, I could pay an attending attending level money, or I could pay a fellow like maybe fifty percent of that, or seventy five percent of that. So I'm still saving money. I've trained this person one to three years for their fellowship, so I know the quality of their work. 
So it's not like they're, quote, robbing us. I'm still getting great value at a price reduction. So it's right. still a win-win. Right. In, in my scenario, we, we looked at the numbers and we actually found out from the jail, we, we told them, you know, if at the current rate, it was not feasible for us to continue these services anymore. And then we found out from the jail that to transport each one of those mm. prisoners was almost $3,000. And so obviously we weren't getting paid anything similar to that, but we're like, that is what you are facing if we decide to give this up because it just doesn't make sense that the rate that's never gone up. And they were like, whoa, no, 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 no. And we came obviously to a decision which was beneficial to everybody. I love it. I love that you guys, like you said, a stern letter, but it's still professional. And then here are the numbers. And I think a lot of people, what what kind of disappoints me sometimes when people say, you know, look, I am getting the short end of the stick. Therefore, you should change your actions. And it's like, look, you know, no one's going to have pity on a resident or a fellow who is very highly educated, who will be paid very well here shortly. So I always encourage people like take the line, like get your numbers, like you're saying, get your fair market value, talk to like you, you guys did fellows at other programs and frame it in a way that's easy for them to understand. Right. So like if you passed me that proposal, I'm like, wow, three grand to transfer somebody like that's terrible. You know, I love it. And then talk about a little bit. I know we talked earlier about like the whole transparency bit. Obviously, we have Reddit, we have Reddit, we have Twitter, we have you know lots of ways to connect one another. But still, I feel like we're still at the infancy of kind of that transparency. We are. And, you know, I've thought more about that since we talked. And Reddit seems to be a great option to share information. But a lot of times it becomes an echo chamber of complaints, which is which is fine. I think we do need a place where we can commiserate and just get together. And you sometimes you just need a scream and you need people to validate. You need people to validate your screaming like, hey, that does suck like that's awful. But. I, I don't know what the best venue would be for in 2020 for us to know about each other's programs. Like we we have an infinite amount of ability to be connected to one another. And I briefly mentioned that a lot of listeners to this will know about Rate My Professor. You know, it was big in college and everybody kind of used it or everybody's at least heard of it. And so there are a couple of websites that are up like that, but they're very poorly maintained websites and there's a lot of outdated information. And there's some that have been been updated since like 2002. If you look at some of the ortho websites and it's like, well, that's 20, literally 20 year old information, which is completely useless. And so I think one of the biggest things is transparency. And I think what transparency amongst one another will lead to is hopefully transparency to the public. I feel like a lot of people, Mm. not a lot, I'd say the vast majority of people have no idea what we do. They haven't. And you, I, I don't. I don't expect them to. I don't. I don't expect the average person to know what a what a anesthesia resident how long it is and what he does and you know what his like. It's too complicated, honestly. And there's people even in in medicine alone. Medicine, that get, right? <laughs> yeah, that can that confuse each other's residencies. He's like, "What do you exactly. do? Like, <laughs> what, like what? What's an electrophysiologist? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but I feel like one of the biggest first steps is us for us to talk to each other about each other's programs and what is working and what isn't working. You know, you briefly mentioned that anecdote about that attending that you had that wanted to know more about you. You know, it sounded so, so cheesy and such like a a hokey thing for him have to do, but it like that has stuck in my brain since you told me that I was like, yeah, stuff, stuff like that works. Like 
it, yeah. if you if you know somebody has a dog named I don't know something funny and you happen to have a similar type of dog, you suddenly have something in common with that person outside of just seeing seeing them on rounds. You know, like it yeah. it adds something. As I finish like my residency and then about to go into fellowship, you know, I, I look back and I start to appreciate those like little jokes, the inside jokes, or those little connections I've had with attendings and like the the staff as well. And I didn't see that as an intern, but like now I see like we're at the hospital a lot of hours. But something where like if they say, you know, hey, how's your dog doing? And they know the name of the dog or something like that. There's like a human meaningful connection and it costs nothing at all. And I think that's something. Tell me like the story a little bit about the tow truck uh, and your car breaking down as well, because I think that kind of illustrates a little bit where we hope medicine will go, at least for trainees. Oh, yeah. So my my wife has a flat tire and, and a tow truck guy comes out and you know, everybody hates tow truck drivers. Like nobody is happy to see a tow truck driver. It's just a miserable experience generally. And if you do see one, it's because maybe you parked in the wrong place and now someone stole your car and they want $300. So this guy comes out and takes the tow truck, except he's super friendly, like couldn't be a more helpful, nice guy. And on the side of his truck, he had this number that said, Hey, call if you have any problems or want to let my boss how I'm doing. So I called the number and I was like, hey, this person came out and did a fantastic job. And the dispatcher is just silent throughout the whole thing. And then finally, I asked like, hello. And she's like, yeah, I, uh, this, I'm not sure what to do with this. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, this has literally never happened. And I was like, <laughs> well, I mean, I, she's like, I, let me write this down and I guess I'll give it to my boss. And it's like, <laughs> You, like you know that like it it cost it cost nothing like the, yeah. none of that it's no giant overarching change it's just something small you know and it it goes back to us talking about it has to start small we have yeah. to start in each other's programs like yeah. it ha- it's got to be that grassroots top or bottom top movement like I, yeah. I I'm telling you I think we're we really get lost in the weeds here when we're just screaming about not getting paid enough and we want some national AMA movement. It's like, it's not going to come. It's you can, you can scream into the abyss all you want. I just don't see it coming that way. I take the same view and it's, and people are like, Oh, then you're down. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm optimistic that like there are other avenues to pursue as well. Like I, I remember for interviews, this one interview where like they put us up in a hotel, which is like super nice. They didn't have to do that. But at the hotel or at the interview, I remember they had a little bag and like a little thing that had like a Kit Kat inside and like maybe like mints. And it was like, it had my name on there. And it was like, hey, Dan, thanks for coming out. And the chair signed it. And that was it. And I'm sure the bag cost like $3. That's it. But that like little small act, I was like, oh, this is pretty nice. Right. And I've been at other interviews. My name's Dan. They're like, hey, David. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> ooh I was like, yeah, you're like, okay, fair enough. Uh, five letters, you know, half a point. <laughs> But point being, it's like, I think when I talk to programs, they get the sense and some resonance too, like that it has to be a ton of money invested and it has to be really complex, but it could be as simple as, Hey, give me your pager for 15 minutes, or let me go ahead and talk about like your dog's name and see you as a human being. I think that's really effective and people, I don't know your thoughts on it. No, I mean, it's huge. So my pro my program for residency interviews paid for the hotel. And by they recoup that money by the next day after your interviews was were done, they didn't have the big like formal hot dinner. They did like box lunches. But I still meet people to this day that when I tell them where I went to residency and they're ortho people, they're like, 
yeah. hey, didn't you didn't you guys put us up in a like a nice uh-huh. hotel downtown? And I'm and I was like, yeah, that is our program. And they're like, yeah, see, awesome. they're like, that was awesome. And I'm like, that yeah. it was literally just a shifting of money that it to this day people remember that. And they're like, that was really cool. And like, yeah. it cost. It's just such a small little change, you know. Like it and it and we keep saying the same thing. Like these small little changes matter and. If you have enough of these changes that you could potentially share with other programs, we should start sharing those. Do you think people would know the small changes? Like if I said, hey, would you guys want a, a swanky hotel or would you want another Italian dinner? Meaning like, should we open up the lines of communication, ask trainees what small change would make a meaningful impact on their day? Or should we just go ahead and say like, hey, what's worked at other programs? I think we should see what's working at other programs. Honestly, I think if we ask other programs, like what has worked for you, what have you seen a giant positive from in your residency? Like what has, like whether, whether that be a quarterly dinner that the GME office pays like, you know, three, 400 bucks for, and it's like essentially no, no money in the grand scheme of things that makes everyone happy or just something small, like what's working for you. That's given you a big noticeable positive impact on people's mental well-being instead of having another well-being lecture where nobody wants to be there. I remember I talked to a uh, DIO and you know she's got uh, the right intentions and she asked me that question. It's like, what would you guys want as trainees? And I said, quarters. And she's like, you want more money? And I said, no, it would be nice to have quarters. And she like looked at me like, what? And I was like, quarters? And like summary, somebody that like notarized documents. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, look, when I go home, like the, you know, the banks are closed. So if I want to do my laundry, I don't have quarters. And if I need something to be notarized, like those are nine to five bankers hours. I can't get my like applications notarized. So just give me a roll of quarters and maybe have someone come in one day a month or whatever and go to like the break rooms and notarize things. Like, I'm sure that would not cost a lot of money. No, it doesn't at all. And can you briefly mention the story of the ortho residents having an afternoon off? Yeah, no, I love it. It's uh, So obviously, and this is what I love too, because I think when I talk to some people, they're like, oh, you know, the, the trainees, they don't want to work hard. They just want to go home. And I was like, no, they don't. Like, we don't. A lot of us don't, right? We, we actually do want to become really good physicians. And obviously, you know, you know the field. It's, it's highly competitive. People do a lot of research. So what they do is essentially, I think it's once every two weeks or once a month, they will have basically a half day on Friday. And so essentially what they'll do is they'll be like, hey, if you need to catch up on emails, go ahead and do it. If you need to go ahead and do research, like type up a paper, go ahead and do it. If you need to jump on a conference call, go ahead and do it. And it's really like minimal amount of time blocked off. It's like something laughable, like uh, two hours a month. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, come on, two hours is really going to make a difference. But that's pretty neat. I imagine like if I open up my schedule and it's like two hours because we recognize and acknowledge that research is important for your like professional growth and you want to do it. And it will look better if you guys are all presenting at local and national conferences and presenting in journals and stuff like that. So I think like something like that, like that is very minor, two hours. Like that is so small, but the impact that it has that on resonance, it's like, well, I'm taken care of. That's nice. Right. And I mean, how small is an app? Like how small is an afternoon off maybe once a month? Like it really has no large impact on the, on the flow of work. And, yeah. but to that one person that's there, like 
That, oh, man. I, I assure you the month before you're already thinking, oh man, I'm going to have maybe time to finally get this cavity taken care of. You know, like See? Yeah. Just, just your life, like just the little things that you never get to go do. Exactly. And that's where it's like the basic things. Like I love when people ask, like, who's your primary care physician? I was like, <laughs> Nobody. Like, <laughs> no. like, I don't know. Like me, like, I, I don't know. Like, who do you expect me to say, you know? And that's terrible. Uh, like we're the worst patients. I briefly joked about it at the beginning of this uh, recording that I got my, uh, I had got an epidural steroid injection yesterday cause I herniated a disc and the nurse in pre-op took my blood pressure and it was 143 over 91. And she goes, are you hypertensive? And I go, I don't, I go, I don't know. Am I like, I have <laughs> I have no idea. I've never been to a primary care physician. What am I supposed to do that? Like, yeah. So, see. so I was like, oh, oh my god, I'm gonna stroke out. I was like, perfect. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't finish fellowship. He had a stroke. Why is your left he, hand not moving? Yeah, yeah. His left leg is painful, and his left arm doesn't move. <laughs> nice. You learn to do everything one-handed then. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> One last point. I like the the transparency bit, especially about promoting the good. Because I think, like you said, a lot of times online, Reddit, Twitter, social media, it's like an echo chamber and only the bad is brought up. So I really like that focus on like, instead of naming and shaming, like name and like proclaim or name and fame, whatever it's called. Like, I think that's really neat as well. It really is. And it, and it, on all the name and fame stuff that I've noticed, I read a lot of the negative, right? We all do. We all see the negative and it kind of after a while becomes just like a background noise. But when you read the positive stuff, it really sticks with you. Like that story that you told me, like that stuck with me. And I've, yeah. I've read a couple of other things online where people are like, this New York program I've literally never even heard of started offering hazard pay to them. And I still remember the name in my head because it's, it's so rare in like, the deluge of negativity that is what residency ends up being where you become very cynical and for very good reasons that it, it becomes just this constant hate fest. And you, we forget that there are places out there that are doing it right. And there's people in charge that are doing their best, but maybe they just need to hear about something else that's working and they'd be receptive to it if it was offered in a very professional organized manner. It's an uplifting note to, to end the convo on and, Thank you for taking time. Hopefully your back feels better and you guys get, get more numbers the rest of the week. But man, I, I really been, appreciate it. I appreciate it. I've been leaning on my patients while operating to relieve some pain. So. <laughs> nice, man. That might be a modifier you could bill for. I'm not sure. Exactly. It's a 23 modifier. It's an uphill. <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate it okay. a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you. Of course. All right, man. Take care. Bye-bye. any value out of this, please consider doing one of three things. One, tell a colleague about this project. Two, sign up for the curated quarterly newsletter. Three, check out the book on Amazon. It's an easy-to-read, engaging how-to manual for trainees, supported by data and evidence-based solutions.